Hello, fellowship. How are y'all doing? Oh, very good. Very good. My name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here, and I am glad you're here. And, and uh, to kind of continue on uh, with where Matt left us off in worship, um, I want to take a minute, talk about something that happened in our Practicing the Way class on Wednesday night. Um, I was the one that was teaching, and we were talking about prayer and talking about hearing the voice of God, and, and uh, the opening part of the class, people were just sharing how the week went, them, went with them in and, and prayer, and did they hear God speak anything through His Word or, or through the Holy Spirit, and if so, what did He say? And so they were all sharing that. And, and, and so I was kind of staying at the, top, at the front of the, the group, and it's kind of fun because I get to hear what different people are saying. But what I noticed, too, is that, of course, some people weren't saying anything. They were just sitting there. And so I, I started off with this question. I started off with asking them, what is it like to be in a group of people talking about hearing God, and your experience with Him is that He's silent? What's that like? And I didn't expect the reaction because the reaction of the group was like, oh. And one person goes, oh, that's very real. <laughs> you know, that was, the, that was the, the guttural reaction. And um, a couple of people responded to that, and, and it, was, it was really great. But what we went through, and what, not but, but and what we went through that night kind of tied into that. Because what we went through that night was, what if our relationship with God through Jesus, what if it's not just talking and conversing? What if prayer, what if us gathering together to worship isn't just about us talking to God and God talking back to us, either through His voice or through His Word? What if, what if prayer what if what we do in here is simply about being with God, being in His presence, having His, his character, His love, His mercy, His loyalty, His goodness, His kindness, and His faithfulness pour over and spill over into our lives? And what if He's silent but present? Is that okay? And so, church, let me ask you, is it okay today if God is silent but present? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off in silence, right? Before I get into my message, i got a whole message planned. I hope it's good. We'll find out in a few minutes, right? But I want to make space for us just to be with God Right, and Matt, you led into that perfectly. We didn't know this is all something I added into my message uh, Friday, I think, it's Saturday. I don't know. The weekend, the weekend goes by. Um, uh, but I think God's doing something, and I want to pay attention to that. Right, and so let's take a minute and just close your eyes, and we're just going to sit in silence and just experience God and experience our Father, our Heavenly Father, for who He is. Experience his son, Jesus. Experience his Holy Spirit in this room. And so let's just take a minute and do that. And however you need to do that, just, just do that.
Jesus, thank you for your presence. And Jesus, this must be you working because no sirens went by. None of the usual noise of our neighbors are present right now. And so we will take that as a gift. A gift of just being in your presence. And Lord, whether you felt close by or whether you felt far away, we know that you are here. And I pray as we go through your word today that that is um, seen, that that is heard, and that that is felt by all of us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, go ahead and open your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 13 through 29. And, and as you're turning there, I, I want to ask you uh, to kind of set us up again for this message is, is, have you ever been in a situation, right, where you didn't know what to do? Right? Now, maybe as I ask that question, something immediately comes to mind, like something is, is present in your life right now where, where, where you don't know what to do. If, if not, let me ask you a couple other questions to kind of stir the pot a little bit. Like, what keeps you up at night? Right? What's the thing that pops in your head when you wake up in the middle of the night? What's the thing that pops in your head when you're not thinking about anything? Right? And you wonder, like, where did that come from? Can I tell you my most recent time where I didn't know what to do? So July, um, and this is how God works, y'all. When you think you've got everything tied up neat and pretty, right? And God does something, to, like, and you feel great about it. You feel content, you feel secure. And God does something just to show you your contentment and your security isn't as fully in him as you might think it is, right? Right? And this is, this is what happened. So July 1st uh, for our church starts our fiscal year, right? And, and if you hear me over the years, you'll hear me talk about money because for some reason that's the thing that God uses in a very clear way to just wake me up. But, but July starts our fiscal year. And so here's what that means. That means um, as a staff, as I'm over the budget for the staff, and so, so we work with staff to, to, to put their expenses budgets together to, to, to figure out how much money we're going to spend. We work with the deacons of finance, to, and they make projections about what they think, uh, what we believe God will bring in through tithes and offerings based on what he's done in the past however many years they look at, right? And this budget um, is, is, is based on what we believe God will bring in. And so we worked hard and we put this budget together and for this fiscal year starting July 1st. And, and, and this budget includes like adding a couple of part-time positions to help in the area of worship and, and, and connections. It includes like a few building updates. It includes um, ministry expenses, of course. It includes community care. It, it includes giving away more money than we ever have before. Like we worked hard and y'all, I'm telling you, it, it's a good budget. It look like if you love Excel, you would love this thing, right? I don't love love Excel, but I've grown accustomed to it over the over the years, right? Well, we put this budget together. And it was ready to present to the elders, because that's the final step. We present it to the elders. The elders uh, look over it, ask questions, do what they do, and and then if they believe, if we believe as elders, this is what God wants us to do, they approve it. Well, we got right up to that point, and um, so, so we, we start this work in 
February, March. We started in March because we want to have it finalized in May and then present to the elders in our meeting in June so it can be ready to go by July. So what happened is, right before we present it to the elders in June, we get the May financial report of what came in. And it was the lowest month in giving that we had had. And it sent me into this tailspin of, oh my gosh, what's happening? Does this mean like all this work we've done for this budget, based on all these months of giving before May, does this mean all this work we've done, this faithful work was done, we've prayed about it, we've, we've, we've got sought good counsel, we've done all this stuff right before I present it to the elders, does that mean all of it needs to be redone? Like, is this going to be the new pattern of giving? It sends me into this, this huge tailspin, right? Like, like, I'm like, do I scrap this budget and come up with a whole new one? Do we start this whole process over again and call people in and, and do all this stuff? Does it mean a hiring freeze? Does it mean an expense pre- freeze? Does it mean that, that we don't give away as much money as we want to give away? And none of that stuff I wanted to do, but that's what was going on inside of me, Right? Or do we just proceed in faith? Right? See, I think we all have moments and seasons just like that. Where we think we've got it all together. And something happens and we unravel. Right? And I'm not talking about unraveling in front of people. I'm talking about we unravel in private. And the wheels come off. I think we, we have all felt that. We've all felt, felt stuck or paralyzed. Or we have felt like no matter what decision we make, it's the wrong decision, right? We can see lots of decisions, just not a good one ahead of us, right? And stuff, y'all, this could be stuff that's big or small. It could be about a, a job transition looming ahead, right, that you don't know what to do. It could, be, it could be even in school, like you don't even know what sport to focus your time on. You don't know what electives to take, and you find yourself in this situation where you don't know what to do. It could be a work situation like Jesse shared a couple of weeks ago where he lost an important file, right? And you just don't know what to do. Well, if you know what I'm talking about, that today will be helpful. Helpful. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then take notes. Because this week you're probably going to need it. <laughs> right? Right? Because Solomon is going to teach us this. He's going to teach us what to know and do when we don't know what to do. Right? What to know and do when we don't know what to do. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use an illustration to kind of to work our way through this passage because sometimes word pictures help, help understand the character of God and help understand what God is doing. And so, so with this word picture, here's what I want you to imagine, right? I want you to imagine you're on a boat, right? It could be a small boat, big boat, your imagination, do with it what you want, right? But here's the deal. You're in charge of this boat. All of a sudden, everybody's boats got real small again, right? Like, like it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. There can be people on the boat. You can, be, you can be by yourself, but you're in charge. You're the one that gets to make all the decisions. You're the one that gets to decide what direction the boat's going to go. You're the one that gets to decide how fast you're going to go. Everybody in that boat? Okay, so you're in the boat. Man, it is peaceful and it is calm and life is good. But guess what happens? A storm. Have y'all read this book? There is a storm coming. Right, y'all, I've seen the movie. There is a storm coming, and it hits your boat unexpectedly. And what was peaceful and calm in your boat, and maybe even fun, has now become unnerving. 
And the waves swell, the water starts crashing in, everything that was, pe- that was peaceful is now chaos, right? And then the motor goes out. Let's just add insult to injury, shall we? Right? Your boat begins to lose control and you're stuck and you don't know what to do. With that picture in mind, let's read what Solomon says. It has nothing to do with boats, by the way, but remember, this is a word picture to help us understand what Solomon is doing. Because I don't know if y'all have noticed, Ecclesiastes is tricky, right? Like, like... It helps to have some stuff. Verse 13 says this. It says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. All right? So, so in this boat scenario, there's something to help. And it's called an anchor. Right? When your boat is being, is being moved this way and that way by forces you can't control, the best thing to do is to, is to grab a hold of that anchor. But here's the deal. You must know what the anchor is and how to use it, which if you're in charge of a boat, I hope you do. Right? You've got to know what the anchor is and how to use it. See, we must know what is true about our anchor. Right? And here's what I mean. In life, when we don't know what to do, we need to know that we do have an anchor, right? We do have an anchor, and our anchor is God, right? And Solomon wants us to know what is true about our God, what is true about our anchor. That's why in verse 13, he says this. He says, if God makes something crooked, we can't make it straight, Right? And if the opposite of that is true, if God makes something straight, we can't make it crooked. In verse 14, he says that God makes both days of plenty and days of adversity. He gives both, not just one, not just the other. He gives both. And in those days, Solomon wants us to know what to do, that in those days of plenty, we are to be joyful. We are to look around and be like, gosh, God, this is so good. And in days of adversity, he says, you are to consider something. It's like this. Anybody seen the movie Rudy? Oh, it's one of my favorite movies, right? About this little, know-nothing guy who wants to play for his favorite team at his favorite college of Notre Dame, right? Rudy Rudiger. And if you watch the movie, you see like all the, the work that he does to get into the school so that he can play for the football team as a, as a walk-on. Like there's no chance that he's going to be picked to be played on the team. He's got to do, he's got to work his tail off to even get on the field. And so, so, so he, he does all this work and, and in the process, he kind of befriends this priest there because Notre Dame is a, is a Catholic school, right? And in the midst of this work and work and work, he sits down with the priest and he goes, listen, what more do I have to do? What does God want me to do so that I can get what I want, so that I can be on this team? Because if I know what God wants me to do, I will do it, right? And when we don't know what to do, that's often what it feels like. God, if you just tell me, I will do it, right? Because we want to make straight what maybe God is making crooked, right? Well, here's what this priest does. He looks at Rudy and he says, he says, young man, and which you know, whenever a priest starts off with young man, like you're about to get some truth dropped on you, right? 
He says, young man, in all my years of ministry, I have learned two facts. One is there is a God. And two, I am not him. Right? Y'all remember that scene? It's a beautiful scene. You see, church, here's what we need to consider. Here's what we need to know in days of adversity. We need to know that there is a God. And neither you nor I are God. We are not him. We can't make straight what is crooked. We are in the boat. We are not the anchor. Right? And our anchor is there to bring us stability in times of trouble, to bring us peace in our storms. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says this, In my vain life I have seen everything um, with a period. Really? Okay, yeah, everything. All right. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Like, he goes from from God makes makes things straight. He makes things crooked. We can't change it. Two, let me tell you about this situation that I see repeated over and over and over again in this life we lead. That there's a righteous man who dies young and a foolish, evil man who, who lives a long life. And that doesn't make any sense. Right? And see, let's look back to our word picture. And what I want you to picture is on your boat, maybe you have a couple of oars, right? One is wisdom and one is foolishness. And Solomon lets us know that in life, when we're in situations where we don't know what to do, right? Like seeing this where the wise man dies young and the, and the foolish man lives a long life, when we don't know what to do about that, here's what's real tempting. What's real tempting is to grab a hold of something other than the oar. What's real tempting is to grab a hold of, of wisdom, to grab a hold of, of foolishness, right? There are things that we like to hold on to instead of hold, grabbing a hold of our anchor. And here's why he shows us this, Right? When we need our anchor, man, we like to grab the oars, don't we? Right? We like to grab a hold of something that makes sense. Right? Because it would make sense to, to if you see the wise man die young and the foolish person live a long life, man, it makes sense to say, hey, let's just find the balance between these oars, right? Let's not, let's not go too wise so we die young. Let's not go too foolish so we don't die stupid. Like, let's, let's, let's find this balance. Right? In times when we don't know what to do, it's real easy to go to what we've done before, right? We can learn more about the problem that's in front of us, and, and, and that can be wisdom. We can, we, can, we can ignore the problem, which is foolishness, but it won't get us where we need to know. Like in verse 15, the good die young, the bad die old, and this isn't fair, right? It doesn't make sense, right? And is there something that we can do to fix it? Right? Maybe we do try and grab the oars and find balance. Maybe this is what we do to control the boat. But, but if you're trying to use the wrong things in the storm, guess what's going to happen? It ain't going to work. You see, the problem with the oars is when we don't know what to do, we can think wisdom guarantees a, a certain outcome, right? We can start doing these formulas with God. If I do this, then God, you have got to do this. 
right? Even with good things like wisdom and righteousness, we're going to see Solomon say, listen, y'all, wisdom's a good thing. I'm not saying be foolish, right? But what Solomon wants us to know is that if you're grabbing a hold of something other than the, 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 the anchor, you're grabbing a hold of the wrong thing, right? Solomon shows us what we are to hold on to, what we are to be connected with. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says this, It is good that you should take hold of this, and from, and from that not withhold your hand. For the one who fears God, that's what you hold on to, the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. In other words, wisdom and foolishness, that you're playing with the wrong, the wrong tension here. The, the real tension is there's one thing to hold on to, and it'll pull you in the right direction, and that is why we're using this picture of a boat and an anchor, right? Our best response is to tie ourselves to God, to connect with God, to hold on to the fear of who God is, which means to accept him, right? So back to our boat, not only do we have to know what the anchor is and know what is true about the anchor, we have to tie that anchor to the boat, Right? Have you ever seen the, the, the scene where they throw the anchor overboard and watch the rope unwind and all of a sudden the end of the rope goes boop? Right? That not, that's not good for anybody, is it? An anchor has to be tied to the boat. We have to, we have to make sure we're connecting to God in those times where we don't know what to do and that, and that we are connecting all of ourselves to him and him only. You see, when I don't know what to do, when I didn't know what to do with the budget, you know what I did? I grabbed the oars of wisdom and foolishness. Y'all, I came up with variations of the budget. I came up with a worst-case scenario of the budget. Because I wanted to see, like, like, how much would that impact what we have in our reserve account? How much would that impact what, what you know, money we have in our checking account? I wanted to see. And that's wise. Like, I'm not talking about don't do some work, but my hope was in my calculations, right? My hope was in these other budgets, that if I knew on a spreadsheet what was going to happen, I could control what was going to happen. Do you know how much... That affected the money we got in May? Not a penny. Do you know how much it affected me? A whole lot of wasted time and anxiety, right? And trying to make me feel that I was in control of something that I can't control. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers. Who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart, uh, your heart knows that many times you yourself has cussed, have cursed others. Right? In these verses, wisdom is seen in its proper place. Like this is where Solomon's going, y'all, like I'm not saying don't pursue wisdom. I'm saying let's keep it in its proper place. Like wisdom is good. In, 19, in verse 19, it's good and powerful and it's needed that a wise ruler is a good ruler. It's good to have a, a, a wise man around you. To have a wise woman is, is good to be around and there's blessing in that. In verse 20 through 22, he wants us to know though that even in the midst of that, we are all still flawed, Right? Again, like Matt said up here, we are all sinners. All of us have sin. Right? My, my sermon from, from a couple of weeks ago, 
that we have to remember our sin first before judging others. Right? You see, we have this, this anchor in its proper place. We get to see what's happening as it truly is, as it truly exists. We get to see what's happening as God sees it. You see, in our boat, the storm rages on, but we know with this anchor, we won't be lost. We will be secure. Right? And I know I say this a lot. A.W. Tozier said this, that when we put God in his proper place, a thousand other things fall into the right place. Right? But there's something scary that we have to do. Look at verse 23. It says, All this I have tested by wisdom, and I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? Right? So Solomon set out to be wise and he worked at it. Right? He grabbed that oar. But where it led him was into mystery. Right? If he was looking for wisdom to give him answers, all he came out with was better questions. Right? He searched and he couldn't find it. Back to my, my favorite movie, Rudy, again. Right? So here's what he does. He has this conversation with the priest. There is a God and I'm not him. And he hears it. And he gave him the good evangelical. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then he goes out and you know what he does? He keeps working. He keeps striving. And, and, and the director, the person who directed this, has this shot of, of Rudy running in the, in the stadium. right? And he's running... Uh, and he is like, it's the middle of winter, but he is just sweating. So you just know, like, he has given it all he's got. And he's finished his run, and, and he's heading up the ramp out of the stadium. And because this is Notre Dame, there is this huge, like, religious mural. I don't know if it's Jesus or Mary, because like I said, it's Catholic, but it's, 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 it's there, right? And it's this huge thing. And so the director is behind him as he's going up the ramp, and right when he gets in front of this mural, he, he stops and he, he bends over. And what the director is showing us is like, we don't know if he's bending over because he's exhausted and he's just finished running. All of our runners say amen, right? Right? There are times where you just got to bend over and just catch your breath. Or is he showing us that something's happening in Rudy's soul? where he's standing before that truth of what this priest said, there is a God and I'm not him. He's standing in front of this mural and he is surrendering to it. And he is not giving up, but he is giving in to that truth. Right? You see, he's tired from all the work that he's done to save himself and now he's surrendering to God. And now he's going to let God do what only he can do. And in our boat, right, we've picked up the anchor. We know what the anchor is. We tied it to the boat. Now what do we got to do with it? We got to let the anchor do what the anchor can do. And we got to throw that thing overboard. And we got to let it sink to the bottom, bump up against a rock, and keep us safe and keep us secure. 
We have to throw the anchor overboard so the anchor can do what only it can do. You see, Solomon tried to be wise. And he was the wisest man uh, who lived, and yet he ended in mystery. And we know he was the wisest man alive because this is what he asked God, right? right? In, in 1 Kings 3, 9, this was Solomon's prayer. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, right? But even when we trust our anchor, we also need to, at the same time, embrace the mystery of our anchor, right? Because here's what's happening. You take that anchor and you throw it overboard, what happens to it? You can't see it anymore, right? I've only swam in one ocean where I could see to the bottom and it freaked me out. I am used to swimming in the gulf. I don't want to know what's around my feet, right? When you throw that anchor overboard, you don't see it anymore. You have to trust And Solomon is saying, listen, I was the wisest person alive and I pursued wisdom. If there was a way to find out the answer, to know what to do when I don't know what to do, I would have found it. And yet I ended in mystery, which means I have got to surrender to this God. I have got to let him do what only he can do. Or Solomon shows us what else we can do. Verse 25 I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I found something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. And he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I have found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my... Soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have I found, but a woman among those thousand I have not found. Now here's, here. okay, just a minute, right? Because if you're a woman sitting here, this might hit you a certain way, right? If you're a man with a woman sitting here, you just got hit a certain way, right? Let me tell you what Solomon is doing, right? Solomon First of all, as a man, right, he wrote Proverbs to his son, which is also why when you read Proverbs, it talks a lot about the prostitute. It talks a lot about the wayward women because he's talking to his son, right? What Solomon is doing is he is speaking from his experience, right? And so, so let's take the, the, the woman out of it. Let's take the, the man out of it and see what he's saying because what he's saying is this word schemes, There are many schemes. You see, Solomon shows us what happens if we don't trust God to do what only God can do. He shows us what happens when we don't trust our anchor is that we scheme, right? He schemed to know how everything was connected because he's trying to figure it out. And people scheme to trap other people. This is not a woman thing. This is a human thing. And if you are breathing right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We will scheme to trap other people. We will scheme to try and make things right instead of trusting our anchor. We will scheme to fix it ourselves, right? Because to scheme means to make plans and to put those plans in action in a way that benefits you, right? in a way that benefits me. I made all those other budgets 
because I wanted to be in control. You see, and that's another word for scheme here is control because control, here's what control does, y'all. Control tries to do the work of God for God. That's what control does. I was trying to bring peace to my soul through a spreadsheet. Isn't that stupid? It can be the best spreadsheet in the world. It's still not going to bring peace to my soul. Only God can do that. You see, trust is letting God do the work that only he can do. And y'all, control has a lot of children, right? Because gossip is a form of control, right? If I can make them look bad and me look good, you will be on my side. And you will make me feel good about me and bad about them. And then I win. That's what gossip does. Using your power is a form of control, Right? If through my anger and my loud voice, I can make you submit, then I win. Right? Our intelligence and intuition can be used to control and to do the work of God for God. Right? Because intelligence says if I'm the smartest person in the room, I will be the most liked room, person in the room. Intuition says, says if I can understand what's happening, I can change what's happening. And, and those things are all can be beneficial things. But when they're used in this realm of control, they turn really bad. You see... In our boat, control is like using the, the motor when the anchor is against the rock. It's a lot of power, but it's not going to get you where you want to go. Right? That's what control is. But y'all get this. Our last verse, verse 29, it says, See, this alone I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. That God made humanity upright, but man, they just keep wanting to fix things themselves. You see, Solomon, y'all, isn't describing them. He's describing us. Let go of what we're trying to fix and instead to surrender, right? Now, we all have places in our life where, where we would rather trust our plans than God's plans, right? Anybody else? Like that, you got a good plan. It is a solid plan. And you want to work the plan. But what if it's not God's plan? What if God's plan is for you to sit and be still and to know he is present? You see, if Jesus, Jesus is our anchor, and if he isn't yours, let me ask you today to do that, to trust him as your anchor. Maybe you need to know our anchor, Christ, and if so, then let's talk. You and me, let's grab coffee. Let's, let's talk. Because I would love for you to know him. But maybe you do know him. And you need to connect to him. Maybe you need to be like Rudy on that ramp and bow down and surrender. And when I say surrender, I don't mean submit. Because here's the difference. Submit means I'm going to keep my plan until your plan falls apart. And then I'm going to tell you. I told you my plan was better. That's, that's submission. Surrender? Surrender is saying, your plan is the best plan, God. 
And even if it goes badly, that's part of the plan. And I will trust you. You see, so church, where do you need to trust God to be God? You know, all the worry about the budget yielding nothing? (laughs) Here's what happened. One, I prepared this message. That helped. But two, June finished. And June numbers were higher than we projected and higher than the money we spent by quite a bit. June also finished our fiscal year. And you're going to have to read the financial update to see about that. But y'all, let me tell you, God showed me we can trust him. God showed me we can trust him. And he showed me all my worry and all my fret and all my scheming was wasted time. And I say that, I've already said it to him, I say it before you because I'm with you. Right? We all do this. And so what we need to do, what we need to know and do when we don't know what to do is we need to know that God is God and we are not. And what we need to do is we need to connect with him and surrender to him. And so this thing that you've been thinking about, will you do that this week and surrender to him? Will you do this right now and surrender to him and just sit and be with him and let his plan be the plan? Let's thank God for being our anchor. Jesus, you you do hold us in the rough seas. And you sometimes calm the seas, but sometimes the waves get bigger. And, and yet, you are the author of them both. And so, God, I, I pray for us that as a church, we do trust you as our anchor. And that we do be with you, that we are, that we are connected to you. Because we know that you are the one who can calm the storms. You are the one who brings them. So, of course, you are the one who can calm them. And you are the one that keeps us connected in the midst of all of them. And so, Father, as a church, we say we surrender. We offer ourselves to you in trust. Because you are good and you are holy. In Christ's name I pray, amen.